Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome into The Verge, a show which covers the Baltimore Orioles minor leagues. The Verge is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. Welcome to On the Verge. This is Zach Spedden, joined as always by my co-hosts, Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens. Uh, We have not been on the air in about a month, but we're back to you now because there is a lot of news in the Orioles minor league system to cover. Uh, from the players to be named later that were picked up in the Tommy Malone trade, which was completed back in August, but the players were just finalized last week. Uh, Baseball America has put out its top 10 prospect list. And uh, we're also going to take the opportunity at the end of our show to discuss uh, our next show, which is going to preview the 40-man roster decisions the Orioles are going to have to make to protect players from the upcoming Rule 5 draft. Uh, that detail will be later on, but first, a rundown of some other stories that have happened since we were last on the air. Starting with some bad news, Carter Ballmer, the fifth-round pick in the 2020 draft, uh, underwent Tommy John surgery at the end of October after pitching at the Orioles Instructional League in Sarasota. Uh, he was our 27th-ranked prospect back in July. Uh, the timeline with the surgery means that Ballmer is all but certain to miss the 2021 season. Uh, hopefully, though, he's back on the mound uh, sometime early in 2022, pitching in competitive game action. Brian Gonzalez, a former top pick with the Orioles, who was a minor league free agent after the 2020 campaign concluded, uh, has departed the organization. He signed a minor league deal with the Colorado Rockies and will receive an invite to Major League Spring Training. Uh, And then one last item to note, Ryan Mountcastle, who really stepped up in a big way uh, in his rookie season for the Orioles, earned one third place Rookie of the Year vote, allowing him to finish eighth overall an American League Rookie of the Year voting. The award went to Mariners outfielder Kyle Lewis, who won it unanimously. Now, interestingly enough, Mountcastle finished the COVID-19 pandemic shortened Major League season just short of the minimum threshold needed to expire his rookie eligibility. So he will actually go into 2021 with his rookie eligibility intact. So Something to note as we get ready for next season. Uh, Before we get into the other topics on our show, I'm going to throw it over to Nick. Uh, Any thoughts on Balmer, Mountcastle, and uh, Gonzalez? Yeah, the Balmer news is kind of tough. That really sucked to see uh, him, Tommy John surgery, and missing the next year. But you know, he's only 18 right now, so he'll probably he should still be 19. I think his birthday is a a little later. Uh, He should still be 19 years old when he gets back on the mound, but. You know, it's not a death blow, but it's still when you miss your senior season because of COVID-19 and now you're missing your first year of uh, major league or professional baseball. Um, you know, it's really putting him behind the eight ball a little bit, but hopefully he comes back strong. Uh, with Brian Gonzalez, you know, that was 
the Orioles' top pick in 2014, third-round pick, but they didn't have a first or second-round pick that year. So the top three picks of that year, the 2014 draft class, were Brian Gonzalez, uh, Pat Connaughton, and David Hess, who were all uh, no longer in the organization. So unfortunate 2014 draft class, except for John Means and Tanner Scott still holding strong. But um, I really liked Gonzalez a lot when they converted him to the, the bullpen last year as a reliever, and he really succeeded in double-A Bowie. He joined a guy, Christian Alvarado, another guy who was one of those uh, minor league cuts of the Orioles. Both of them had a really solid seasons last year in Bowie out of the bullpen. But yeah, you got to imagine that I think Gonzalez was probably waiting to hear what other teams were going to offer him. And I, I think any team who offered him a chance to be a starting pitcher, he probably jumped at. And I imagine the Rockies were probably an organization that's going to give him an opportunity to start. Um, wish him the best of success out there. Uh, for Ryan Mountcastle, I would have gone Kyle Lewis as well. Watched more Mariners baseball, I think, this year than my entire life combined, and Kyle Lewis was a major reason why. Luis Robert was a fantastic player. He's going to be a great player for many years, I think, until Tony LaRusso burns that organization down to the ground. But like, give props to all these guys. I think if you look at the list, AL and NL Rookie of the Year voting, Major League Baseball is in pretty good hands uh, with some phenomenal young talents. Except my only beef with this list, and I know it's just an award uh, that doesn't mean too much, but my only beef was Jared Walsh, an Angels rookie, finished ahead of Ryan Mountcastle. And I also watched a lot of Angels baseball, I guess, because I like watching bad West Coast baseball, apparently, during the pandemic. But I have no idea who Jared Walsh is, so um, that's a terrible job by the voters there. But... I guess I'm not going to be too upset about that, but maybe just mad enough that we're going to start the Ryan Mountcastle 2021 Rookie of the Year campaign uh, now, since everybody loves campaigning and elections. <laughs> yeah, I think Mountcastle has to go into 2021 as at least one of the favorites to win Rookie of the Year. Uh, a lot of tough competition. He only played about half the season. A lot of good young players came up in 2020, even with the 60 games and yeah, it was nice to see Carlos win that. He deserved it. Same with Devin Williams in the NL. As far as Brian Gonzalez, uh, I think what we surmised uh, last or this past couple months was that he was added to the Bowie roster to kind of get one final look before he could become a minor league free agent and maybe sign elsewhere. Maybe they wanted to see if he could make a push for the 40-man roster. Clearly that wasn't the case, but wishing the best in Colorado. That's a tough place to pitch. Uh, and Carter Baumler. Certainly not ideal, obviously, to go under the knife at such a young age. But whenever I hear of a pitcher being injured, I always hope that it's the elbow and not the shoulder, and that is the case. So it seems like that's far easier to come back from than a labrum injury or another, you know, muscle that's not your elbow. So, you know, I still don't regret making that pick for the Orioles. You know, he's still going to be a young, talented kid with a big arm, even in a year or two when he comes back from that. So, not great news, but I'm always looking for the silver lining. Yeah, I agree with the both of you. You know, as unfortunate as, as it is, Baumler's still young. There's still a lot of upside there. And if he's able to get the surgery and otherwise be healthy when it's time to pitch again in 2022, which is you know, realistically what we're looking at, um, I think that he still has a chance to yield a lot of value for the Orioles. This is a guy that was going to be years away regardless. Um, and although this does represent a setback, Hopefully it's the kind of thing where we look a few years down the line and realize it was not a significant one. Um, but best wishes to him in recovery. I uh, hope to see him back on the mound soon. 
As for Gonzalez, I do think that there's going to be a lot of opportunity with the Rockies organization for him. Um, even more than there may have been in Baltimore, especially if the Orioles only saw him as a reliever because the Orioles do have a good bit of left-handed pitching depth right now. And the Rockies, it seems like even when they're contending, they're in need of pitching help. So there's probably some opportunities uh, there for him in Mountcastle. Uh, I'm right there with you. Let's start campaigning for 2021 Rookie of the Year. You heard us talk endlessly about why he needed to be promoted. And now for the next uh, 10 months, you're going to hear us endlessly discuss why he needs to win American League Rookie of the Year. So have fun uh, listening to us talk about that. Uh, In some other news, the Orioles did receive the two players to be named later in the Tommy Malone trade with the Braves that was made back at the end of August. But as with a lot of trades in 2020, um, the return was for players to be named later. And we now know who those players are. It's a pair of infielders in shortstop A.J. Graffinino, the son of former Major League infielder Tony Graffinino. Uh, Graffinino regarded as a guy who's a very, very advanced uh, middle infielder defensively who could stick at shortstop uh, but has struggled with injuries. We're going to talk about that a little bit. And Greg Collin, who has primarily played second base in the minor leagues, put together a solid season in 2019 at Loe Rome. Um, batting 270 was a 794 OPS and nine homers um, as a 22-year-old to low A level. So I'll start with you, Bob, and mind you before we get into this that Malone went to the Braves and made three starts, struggling mightily before he went on the injured list, uh, was left elbow inflammation. He's now a free agent. So, Bob, I'll start with you. What are your thoughts on the uh, return for Malone? We got robbed. No, uh, this was clearly a great trade by Mike Elias and the Orioles. I mean, in a vacuum, yeah, you're getting back two guys in the middle infield that are probably more fringe prospects, uh, more depth utility guys. But when you think about what you're getting from Malone, a guy you signed on a Miley contract who put together a handful of good starts for the Orioles and then blew his arm out. And uh, yeah, I, it's just amazing to me how Elias took the infield depth that the Orioles had before he got the job from an extreme weakness into maybe not quite a strength, but definitely like really boosted that in the last two seasons. And we'll get to it in a little bit, but even Gunnar Henderson, his development, all these, the last couple drafts we've focused on college bats, especially this past one up the middle of the infield, trading for a guy like Taron Vavra, Phil Nevin Jr. <laughs> I forget his Tyler Nevin. Uh, and now these two guys, I mean, you just, you have an influx of talent where you got to think at least a couple of these guys are going to break through and play a role in this team moving forward. Yeah, I like both of these guys. I honestly think, no disrespect to Tommy Malone, I, we all enjoyed watching him pitch uh, his few outings. He was the leader in wins above replacement for the Orioles for a long time until I think Keegan Aiken ended up as the leader for the Orioles. But, I mean, the Braves could have, like, stocked up a couple concession stands with hot dog buns for Tommy Malone, and I think I'd be cool with that trade. Like, this is great. Um, is another top 30 prospect that the Orioles got. Um, you know, he does have that injury history. I know, I think it was Rock Kobako that finally, he put out that uh, an interview with him uh, that said it was concussions that why he missed all of 2019, which is a blow. Um, you're starting to see that a lot more. I know I saw... Mac Williamson, an outfielder for the Giants, is suing the Giants over. Uh, he's still he was forced to retire because of a concussion injury, and he's still feeling the effects there, and it's up uh, pretty bad. So I think that's 
that's a bigger conversation for another day. But Graffinino, I love the defense uh, for sure. Went back and watched what little bit there is of him uh, here and there, a little few highlight clips. I love the glove. Um, the college numbers, he played at Washington, so a Pac-12 program, and he didn't hit a single home run while he was in college. And he only has one in the minor league so far. But, you know, he's he's not a power guy. He's a line drive guy. He hit well in the Cape Cod League. Um, decent on base percentage throughout college and lower minors. You know, the high ground ball rate is probably a little bit alarming. But, again, he hasn't played in two years. So I'm excited to see what the Orioles are able to do with him um, over the next year or two in the system. Again, when you give up Miguel Castro, Tommy Malone, and Michael Givens, and you get four new guys in the top 30 of your prospect list, which is one of the top farm systems in baseball, like A plus, A plus job. Yeah, and I should note that Graffinino, um, when he was with Atlanta um, at the time of the trade, was ranked 23rd in the Braves system by MLB Pipeline. Uh, after coming over to Baltimore, he ranks 30th in the Orioles system, one spot behind the young left-hander Luis Ortiz. Now, I do know that MLB Pipeline is pretty high on the Orioles system, or at least it seems to be based on some of their coverage I've read. But uh, it's still pretty telling that Graffinino goes from the Braves to the Orioles. He'd been 23rd with the Braves. Now is going to be 30th with the Orioles. Um, as Nick mentioned, uh, Graffinino had just one game in 2019 at the high A level. Um, so what do you guys expect for him? Do you think that this is someone that provided he's healthy next year? You give a look at it, Bowie, knowing that the glove is probably good enough for shortstop or I still go back and correct myself there the double a level next year. Cause there are still a lot of uh, open questions there. Would you put him at the double a level uh, knowing that the glove could stick or would you want to see him in high a little bit more just to see how he's recovering and how the bat looks before uh, considering a move up? I personally would stick him at, at double a to start. You can always move him down if you feel like you have to, but especially with guys like Kobe Mayo, Jordan Westberg, uh, Servideo, all these guys will probably be in high A, low A area. I would think you want to get him, you know, some pretty regular time. And I think maybe double A Bowie would be the place for that. Yeah, I think you might see him up a little higher just because he has that advanced college bat. And he is at least, you know, he might not have been able to do a lot in 2019 with the concussions and the effects of that concussion, which sound pretty nasty. But, I mean, he was at least probably at least able to work out this year. I mean, your dad is is Tony Graffinito. Uh, he's been, probably been working out in 2020. So we'll see. And you've got the minor league spring training, hopefully. Again, all of this, we don't know what the 2021 season is going to look like. We don't know who the Orioles affiliates are going to be. Um, I, I'm keeping receipts of everybody saying, can we just cut the Norfolk Tides? Because as a native of Norfolk, Virginia, can we stop um, that? All of you Maryland people um, love you all, but come on. Um, no, we don't know what the minor leagues are going to look like, but I mean, yeah, Graffinino is another one of these glove first guys. And if he can, if the Orioles can work his, his, his bat a little bit and he can kind of lift that ball a little more, become more of a, not necessarily a power hitter, but continue to hit the ball against more advanced pitching, then you got a pretty decent player here, I think. Yeah, I, I think this might be someone the Orioles do push a little bit. You obviously want to see how he looks coming off the concussions and then having missed um, the 2020 season as, you know, every prospect's going to face that issue to a certain extent. But I, I do think the Orioles might push him a little bit and give him a look at double A. I wanted to note this about Colin just because I found it interesting. Uh, back in January, Eric Lonenhan and Kylie McDaniel over at Fangrass put together the Braves' top 27 prospect list. Uh, 
Uh, Colin was mentioned in the other prospects of note section. And here's a blurb that they wrote on him. Colin has pretty strong exit velo data, but was old for the level. Uh, presumably they're referring to his 2019 season at Rome, which I mentioned earlier. Uh, he was 22 that year. Um, so I know with the Orioles, we're not going to learn about a lot of the data that they look at, especially when they're judging players from outside the organization. But it does feel like that exit velo is something that we come back to a lot with players that have been brought into the system. And what I'm wondering, and I'm curious to get your thoughts on this, is do the Orioles look at that data and think that maybe they can tap into a little bit more power with uh, Colin? Yeah, you mentioned that. I was thinking about last year, the Rule 5 draft, the minor league phase of the Rule 5 draft, they took a guy, uh, Cespedes. Uh, I can't remember his first name. I want to say Chris uh, Cespedes. He was like a a teenage uh, international prospect. I can't remember which organization the Orioles grabbed him from, but I remember after the Rule 5 draft, I think it was fan graphs that noted he had, of all the players selected in the Rule 5 draft, he had the highest exit velos. Um, so, yeah, that's definitely something that the Orioles are looking at. If he's a younger guy, Cullen's not one of those younger guys, but he can hit the ball hard. Uh, maybe there's something there. Um, I, I'll shout out TalkingChop.com. Uh, when I was looking up some stuff about Cullen, is the SB Nation, the Atlanta Braves SB Nation site. Uh, they have a really good minor, group of minor league writers uh, that cover the, the Braves minor league system, and they're big fans of Greg Cullen. When he was with their organization, um, they kind of described him as as shorter shorter stature, but a second baseman, a, a true second baseman who it has a loud like pre pitch noise at the plate. But they say he does everything well enough that he doesn't really have any uh, holes in his game. He's really solid across the board, which which is good to see. You might not have that standout tool, but if you're average across the board, then it's depth. And like we mentioned earlier, you're you're growing that middle infield depth which is what the Orioles need. And if you look at his numbers, I mean, he was a machine in college at Niagara, which, you know, is kind of lower mid-major college baseball, but still in the lower levels of the minors with the Braves. I mean, he's hitting 273 with an on-base percentage of close to 400 uh, in his career. So, I mean, that's that's pretty solid. Yeah, and Locked On Orioles um, had a pretty good episode today with the his coach from Niagara. So if anyone's interested in learning more about his college career, then definitely check that out. But yeah, he seems like a poor man's Taron Vavra, perhaps a left-handed hitting second baseman. But I do love that the Orioles are targeting exit velocity. Mm-hmm. Nothing wrong with people that can uh, hit the ball hard. And I think uh, I saw tweeted out that Heston Kerstad had like the fourth best exit velocity in college last year. So that's another example. I know Jordan Westberg had gotten some shouts about his exit velocity at the time he was drafted. So something SIG's model is pointing out is SEC college hitters that have high exit velocities. And I guess Colin fits that mold. Yeah, Colin does kind of intrigue me a little bit because you're looking at someone who is stuck at second base so far in his professional career. Um, Nick mentioned the stats, or I'm looking at his baseball reference listing. He's listed at 5'10", 190, uh, but left side, hits from the left side, plays second base. If you get any sort of power there, I think that really makes him an interesting prospect going forward. Um, I guess the question that I have is if the Orioles, and this is something that's probably going to be answered down the line, is if they look to add to his versatility a little bit or if they continue to stick him at second base full time and see what he can contribute yeah i look at all the guys that the orioles cut their um 
the the list of minor league free agents. I'm looking up Baseball America's list right now to re- remind myself. Yeah, Orioles cut 16 guys a couple of weeks ago, and a lot of them were middle infielders like uh, Malquin Canelo. Uh, let's see who else here. We got uh, the Jose Rondon, uh, Richard Urena, Jesmo Valentin, Andrew Velasquez. Like all these are middle infield guys, and I think just based on what we're reading and seeing about uh, Cullen. I think you you upgrade the middle infield here. He's I believe he's probably going to be better than any of those guys that the Orioles just released. Uh, so again, if even if it's just a small improvement, you're making improvements in the system. So great work. Yeah, completely agree. Yeah, and and I think we're really seeing with the middle infield depth where they're really stacking it from the bottom up because in all of our talk um, tonight about the middle infield, we haven't even mentioned Adam Hall who when we thought we were going to have a 2020 minor league season, looks like a guy that with a good year at high A could be knocking on the door of the top 10 list going into 2021. As it is now, I think he's going to fall short of that, but you have him in there. You have Taron Vavra in that mix, Jordan Westberg, Anthony Servideo, um, Ryland Bannon, who I wrote about over at BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com earlier this week. Um, and if he's not taking the Rule 5 draft, you still have Mason McCoy around. So this is really, they're really stacking the middle infield depth, and I'm curious to see how that's going to play out. And I think that given that they've had a little bit of a revolving door at the major league level over the last few years, other than with Alberto at second, uh, I I feel like those days might be over soon. Because I I think that they're stockpiling enough talent that you know that not all of these players are going to work out. But if just one or two of them materialize into solid major leaguers and can hold down the position every day that's a win absolutely and you can't forget that game changer richie martin coming off the disabled (laughs) list or injured list uh coming into next year yeah that's true although i will say yeah we joke around about richie martin but i would have rather watched him play shortstop than pat valeka this year so absolutely (laughs) i I kept that in mind a lot when richie martin was out yeah we can't have iglesias at shortstop so we have pat valeka Love the bat, but the glove, oh, that was not, that probably hurt the Orioles in a lot of cases. Yeah, he's known as Pat the Bat, not Pat the Glove. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I'm anxious to see now, we always make jokes also about, you know, the Orioles not going after pitching at the top of the draft. Um, I'm wondering what's, what are Orioles fans' thoughts going to be when we draft Matt McClay in the shortstop out of UCLA, who's one of the top-ranked infielders. We had another shortstop to the system, <laughs> but I did I did tweet this out a while ago. I think after the, it was announced that the Orioles have the the fifth pick in next year's draft, they've had the fifth pick in two other drafts, and it was a Matt Hobgood and a Matt Weeters. So we got to keep the tradition going with another Matt. Yeah, keep the streak going. Cal would be proud. Yes. So th- we had the first, really the first major. Um, top 10 prospects list the offseason drop uh just this week right baseball america put out their list um this may come as a surprise to most of you but adley rutzman ranks number one um grayson rodriguez two dl hall three the list was uh written up by john mioli whose work you've also seen a lot over the baltimore sun john did a good job on that uh, we're gonna look at some of these players individually in a minute but i will say that what john put together First off, comes pretty close to the list we put together back in July, with some exceptions. Uh, we're probably going to update that in the next few months. Uh, the the biggest difference is that we had Austin Hayes on there, who has since graduated. Um, but otherwise, there's really not a lot of turnover um, on this list from prior years. 
because we didn't have the 2020 minor league season. Mountcastle fell just sort of graduating, as I mentioned earlier in the show. Dean Kramer and Keegan Aiken also fell just sort of graduating. So if you looked at the list side by side, other than Heston Kerstad, who ranks fourth, there aren't a lot of differences, but it also owes a lot to the um, products of circumstances we are dealing with in 2020. So before we start getting the um, the individual players, I'll start with you, Nick. What were your thoughts on the list? Uh, like you said, pretty similar to ours, I think. But I mean, I'm not going to toot our own horn there. I think if you look at any Orioles top 10 list, yeah. at least, they're going to look pretty similar here. Um, yeah, I think, you know, I think it was a safer on the back end of the list. When they had, I believe he has Keegan Aiken as the number 10 prospect on that list. I think that's a pretty safe pick. And just because he pitched at the major league level last year and was successful, he exceeded my expectations last year. And I've always, I believe, been a little bit higher on Aiken than most. Uh, but, you know, again, we didn't get to watch any of these guys this year. The beat writers didn't get to watch any of these guys this year. So, you know, John Muley does great work with, with prospect work and prospect talk. But he's also getting a lot of the information is just stuff that the team is feeding him. And that's true for every team and every beat right across the league. Maybe unless you're the Mariners who just broadcast everything on their Twitter account. Um, lucky to be a Mariners fan right now. But we just don't have a lot of information. So I think putting Aiken at 10 was a safe bet. But other than that, I mean, it's pretty standard list, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's a predictable list. You know, it's nothing fancy about it. But when you look at between the Baseball America portion and then um, the MLB list or the little rundown that they did, if you combine those, it's pretty exciting just the development that seems to have gone on this year, even if the list looks the same as or similar as the year before. You have Ryan Mountcastle came up, performed better than anyone could have expected. Seems like Grayson Rodriguez and D.L. Hall are sitting in the upper 90s with their fastballs. Rushman is doing everything he's supposed to do. Gunnar Henderson looks like a breakout. I think uh, MLB Pipeline said that if there was a season, he might have leapfrogged some people, so that's that's pretty cool. But yeah, I think towards the bottom, you saw Kramer and Aiken come up and perform pretty well, so that's why they just round out the list. I might have made a little more of a daring move if it was up to me, but he knows more than I do. Yeah, just to compare it, we had Keegan Aiken at 14th back in July. Uh, we're probably still a couple months away from updating our list, but I personally wouldn't be shocked if Aiken ranks a little bit higher going into next year. Um, sitting just outside of our top 10 was Jordan Westberg, the first-round Comp A pick this year. Uh, would you guys stick with that? Would you go Westberg over Aiken in a list if you had to put one together right now? I would, personally. And even after hearing... What um, little reports we did get out of Bowie's camp, it seems like he, or the fall instructional, seemed like he might have had one of the most impressive camps of anybody. So, yeah, I think you got to stick with the athlete with the exit velocity that can play shortstop, but at least second or third base long term. Yeah, and I think our list that Dr. Stephen Loftus, a uh, friend of the pod, helped helped us with, I think um, we ranked our list a lot more on like ceiling. Uh, so you're talking about Keegan Aiken does have a pretty decent floor, but I mean, when you're talking about uh, where these prospects could eventually reach, I definitely like Jordan Westberg. He's actually, the more I read about him, this little tidbits of information we do get, he's climbing higher and higher on my list of guys that I'm really excited to watch for next year. 
And Baseball America, uh, that's saying that I imagine John Mueller was the same one that put this together as well. Yeah, he was uh, looking at it now. Um, he named Jordan Westbrook the best athlete and best uh, defensive infielder in the Orioles system. So I think that's high praise for, again, another SEC bet. So. Yeah, and really high praise, I think, when you consider there are some guys in the system, Mason McCoy being one of them, who rate really high defensively. So that's certainly encouraging. Um, wanted to talk about Gunnar Henderson for a minute. He ranks sixth on this list. Um, with just a few more bats for Ryan Mountcastle at the major league level, he would have moved up a spot and ranked fifth, which is impressive for a guy with so little professional experience so far. Most of the reports that we were hearing out of Bowie and then again down in Sarasota about Henderson were overwhelmingly positive. And I feel like one of the benefits that he had in one small silver lining that came from the minor league season getting canceled was that he had the opportunity to play with a lot of position players that would have been above him in the minor leagues had the traditional season unfolded. And he was facing a lot of pitchers who were more advanced than the pitchers he would have faced in Aberdeen or Delmarva, which is likely where he would have played last year. It probably would have been one of those two levels. Do you guys have big expectations for him in 2021 just because of the amount of development time he was able to get in 2020? Yeah, he is that list I was talking about of guys I'm excited to watch. Henderson's number one on that list because he was at the Gulf Coast League in 2019. So we haven't had the opportunity to watch him at all since the Orioles drafted him out of high school. Um, you know, the reports are extremely positive. He's kind of become the prospect darling, I think, of 2021 among Orioles fans. Um, reading this report, uh, you've got uh, this is a. Uh, Orioles uh, from MLB.com says describing Jordan or Gunnar Henderson. Sorry, they're like two talking about Gunnar Henderson and Jordan Westberg, saying they're like two thoroughbred stallions. Both can play shortstop, both can hit, and both can run. It's been really fun seeing them on the field together every day competing. That was from Matt Blood. Uh, so high praise from the man himself. I'm um, really excited to watch Gunnar Henderson and see what he can do. I think it's becoming more clear that he's probably going to stick at shortstop. And like you mentioned, he's up there facing Grayson Rodriguez, D.L. Hall. He's facing those major league guys. So even if he is facing, you know, like a Brandon Klein, Brandon Klein has a lot of major league experience. And Gunnar Henderson was a teenager with Gulf Coast League experience. So that's a big challenge for him. And I think it was today on Masson they had an article where he said for that first month or so of instructs, Henderson looked pretty out of place. And, but that was good because he finished really strong. So clearly he made a lot of improvements. And yeah. Number one most excited prospect to watch next year. Hundred percent agree. I am fascinated to see where he even starts the season. Is he gonna go all the way up to Frederick or Bowie, perhaps? I don't know. Probably start at Frederick and work his way up from there, but it's just incredibly exciting. I can't wait to look at the box scores every night just to see how he performed, try to get out to a game to watch him if that's possible. Uh, yeah, it's incredibly exciting that he, he's up there with the guys like Adley Rutschman and Gunnar Henderson are like within the same sentence of people that stood out during these camps. It's just, uh, just what we hoped for when we saw that he was drafted in the compensatory round last year. Yeah. I'm going to, you know, say, you know, preface this by saying that I do want to see where Henderson ends up in 2021, uh, where he starts off, but. I wouldn't be shocked if by this time next year we're talking about Henderson as a guy who's probably on the back end of some top 100 overall list 
just because of the ceiling there seems so high. And if we start to become more certain that he will stick to shortstop, now you're looking at a shortstop who's a big guy, good power from the left side. That's not a package you see very often. Um, so I really believe that Henderson, if things go well in 2021, not only are we looking at Henderson as probably you know a top three, top four overall in the Orioles system, but probably one of the top 100 prospects overall in baseball. Yeah, I think you have uh, Eric Loggenhagen of Fangraphs is also pretty high on uh, Michael Bauman cracking the top 100 or being pretty close. Uh, so, yeah, this Orioles system as a whole, I mean, it's getting bigger and better every few weeks, it seems like. There's still another player to be named later floating around out there. So maybe a, another top 30 prospect joins the fray. But, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of talk about... One of my bigger pet peeves now is becoming this narrative of the Orioles' lack of middle infielders. And it might be true at the upper levels of the minors, but that's becoming a real strength of this team. And like you mentioned, we haven't even talked about Adam Hall. And this is a guy who's probably a second baseman as he moves up the ranks. Very athletic, super speedy on the base paths, uh, pretty good defense at second base. We're not even talking about him anymore. And, and this is a guy who's probably top 30 on a number of teams' lists. So I think that tells you about the state of the franchise right now. Yeah, and Nick, to your point, I don't even know, you know, I, I agree with you. I'm, I'm tired of that narrative, too. And I don't even know that it holds true that it's not strong at the top levels of the system anymore. Because right now, you you stand a strong possibility that we go into 2021 with Hondra Alberto at second and Jose Iglesias at short at the major league level. And then basically from there down to the major league bench, then the triple A and double A, you're going to have... Um, Yomar Sanchez, who was just picked up from the White Sox uh, on a waiver claim, will probably fit into that uh, picture somewhere as a reserve option, uh, at the very least at the major league level. As Bob mentioned earlier, you're going to have Richie Martin coming back. You're going to have Ryland Bannon, likely at AAA. Mason McCoy should likely be at AAA. Uh, Taron Vavra is a guy that could get to bump up to AA. So really... And then Caden Grenier, I, I know there's a guy that a lot of Orioles fans have prospect fatigue on, but he's still in the system, and you still get strong reports on his glove. He'll probably be in the higher minor leagues next year. So I don't even know that the notion that the middle infield depth is bad at the top of the system holds true anymore. Yeah, there might not be like that big standout prospect that is at second short or third in the upper minors, but the depth is there, and the possibility is there for a year or two that we do have that guy. Yeah, so I definitely think the middle infield um, improving in the Orioles system. We've talked about that a lot on this episode, but Gunnar Henderson is a big part of that. And I think we're all excited to see him in 2021. I did want to touch on uh, Mike Ballman for a minute. He ranked eighth overall on Baseball America's list. One thing that I found interesting, though, was that in the projected 2024 lineup that John Mioli put together, he had Ballman as a closer. Now, I know that we have heard talk of Ballman um, possibly shifting to the bullpen at some point. My expectation is that he's going to be given a lot of opportunities as a starter um, at the major league level before the Orioles make that move if they ever do. But do you, do either one of you see that as a possibility that Ballman maybe is that lights out late inning guy at some point in the next uh, three or four years? Uh, I mean, when you watch him pitch, you can definitely see it. He's a tall guy. He's like 6'4", 6'5", well over 200 pounds, a big stocky righty who throws it hard, and he can hold that velocity. 
I, I remember that no hitter he threw uh, with Bowie last year, a phenomenal year last year with Bowie. Um, he held that velocity. I think he was still throwing 95, 96 when he was getting that last out of the game. And that was a nine inning game, not a minor league doubleheader, seventh inning, uh, seven inning, no hitter. That was a true no hitter he threw. Um, he also did throw a seven inning no hitter as well, though. But you watch him pitch and you definitely think, yeah, if you put him out there for one inning, is he throwing 97, 98 miles an hour? Uh, John Mioli gave him, rated his uh, slider as the best slider in the system. So fastball slider guy, closer. Um, but also, like, if things get shaky in the eighth inning and there's one out and guys get on base, can he give you five outs? For sure. Uh, but, you know, I think when you look at Norfolk's starting rotation next year, whoever the AAA affiliate is next year, or whatever we call AAA next year, uh, that rotation is going to be pretty stacked. And I think Bauman's going to be part of that. Um, you know, that injury is going to hold him back as well. So maybe if we see him at the major league level, maybe at the end of next year, best case scenario, the last few weeks, and maybe the Orioles try him out in the bullpen then uh, just to get his feet wet and maybe he excels. And now you've got another Hunter Harvey type situation on our hands where we just say, let's just keep him in the bullpen and see what happens. Yeah, I think it. I can definitely see where Mioli is coming from with that projection. I mean, the starting rotation has the potential to be pretty crowded between John Means, Grayson Rodriguez, D.L. Hall, Dean Kramer, Keegan Aiken, and a bunch of other guys that we've talked about. But I think, like you said, you got to give him every chance to make it as a starter before you shift him into the bullpen. But it is nice to have that in your back pocket. I still have faith that that uh, he'll be a starter. I think he's going to be a starter. I, I'm pretty high on Bowman as long as he can recover pretty pretty quickly from this injury he had. So one guy who I know we're going to be talking about a lot um, in our next show when we talk about players that are going to be protected from the Rule 5 drafts because this guy is a lock to get protection this offseason. That's Eusenio uh, Diaz, who ranked between Henderson and Ballman on the list, coming in seventh overall. Sometimes I do sense there's a little bit of prospect fatigue uh, with Diaz because he had so much hype coming over in the Manny Machado trade. He lost a lot of time due to injury in 2019. I know some people look at the stat line in Bowie and aren't uh, really impressed by it with what he did in the short time, but I would always point to the fact that the Eastern League was really tough on hitters in 2019 and that Diaz, when healthy, was pretty productive. Right now, um, he's probably ticketed for AAA. If he does get off to a good start there... How quickly do you think we could see Diaz uh, next year? So I'll start with you, Bob. And keep in mind the Orioles' outfield depth heading into next year does look strong at the major league level. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, you got Anthony Santander coming back. Trey Mancini, you know, hopefully is available right away. Mountcastle, Hayes, even Mullins out there. But I and DJ Stewart. Gosh, it is a pretty deep outfield. But uh. I do think he can force his way. He's an exciting player. When he's hot, he's incredibly hot. And I think if he gets off to a good start, we could see him in May. Is for you know, if there's an injury of any sort, I think he's the guy that's going to come up. If there's someone like, if gosh, if Austin Hayes struggles again like he did at the beginning of this year, maybe you see them. No, I guess it may, Diaz can play a center field in a pinch, but I do think we'll see him in the first half of next year as long as he hits as well as we think he should be able to. Yeah, this is just a situation, though, where you have all that outfield depth and you have guys like 
Austin Hayes, he has to stay healthy and he has to start producing next year or his job is gone. Uh, DJ Stewart is going to get another opportunity, um, but he, he's he got like two weeks. And if it's not working, I mean, you've got to dump him at that point. Um, you've got Kerstad waiting in the wings. He's probably not going to spend a lot of time in the minor leagues. You do have pretty good depth in the minor leagues with the outfield situation. But with Diaz, I don't know how soon we see him. He got great work down at the alternate site, so he wasn't just sitting on the sidelines all year. But again, like you mentioned, that outfield depth is so strong. But when he's hot, he is super hot. And I pulled up his last healthy month last year, 2019, was in July, was his first, really only full month of baseball he got. And in July, 28 games, he hit 299 with a 353 on base percentage, 12 doubles, three home runs. I mean, those are using the Diaz numbers you can kind of expect when he's healthy. And that was in a pretty, you know, offense is hard to come by in the Eastern League. Uh, it always is. So. I think we maybe see him pretty early next year as well, but it's just a matter of where do all the pieces fit. But it's a good problem to have. Yeah, it's a great problem to have. I think that if you look at the Orioles right now, you're going to have to find at-bats for a lot of players in the outfield. Um, Mullen showed a lot with the defense, and if he brings that into next year, I think that it does buy him some time if he's not necessarily hitting right away. Hayes, he's got to stay healthy. That That's number one. The number two he has to produce. Based on what we saw at the end of the 2020 season after he came off, came off the injured list, I hold a little bit more hope for him going into next year. Santander, I think now, proved that he could, is nothing else, is a solid major league uh, regular. So the Orioles do have good depth there. But I think that Diaz, if he's healthy... And if the Orioles either need to go to someone uh, to fill in for an injury, or if someone like Stewart or Hayes struggles or Mullen struggles, um, he's going to step up and probably be there maybe, I'd say the earliest June 1st, but then no later than August 1st. I think it's going to be somewhere in that stretch. I will point out, too, that if you go to our Twitter, um, at BSL on the Verge, there is a video of Diaz throwing someone out at second base from the right field warning track in a buoy at Harrisburg game from uh, 2019, uh, right, Nick? Yeah, I think that was a 2019 game. I just we hadn't had a whole lot of content on the Twitter page, so I was prepping for the show. I was like, let's put some Usenio Diaz content out there. And you know, every time I watch that clip, I think, hey, the arm in a short right field at Cannon Yards work would look really good. Well, and I think looking at the roster again. We look at the infield. I think the Orioles feel comfortable putting Chris Davis on the bench now. Uh, even if he's not off the roster, that's fine. If, as long as he's on the end of the bench away from everybody, that's great. But Renato Nunez, I mean, if Diaz has been in, I think, the last two spring trainings, they've had Diaz up. And he was really hot in 2019 spring training, where I know a lot of people said he should crack the roster, but he didn't. He went to Bowie all year that year. Um Maybe if you keep Nunez, I know he's one of the the hotly debated topics of does he stay or does he go. If you keep Nunez around, bring Diaz into spring training. And if Diaz is a really hot spring training, maybe you say, all right, let's trade Nunez for some international dollars or whatever. Uh, Put Mountcastle or Mancini first base DH. It it seems like Mancini is pretty healthy and progressing pretty well. Um, Again, how will COVID impact that? I think that's the the bigger uh, issue there. But you take Nunez out of the equation, then you can have Diaz in the lineup out there in right field. You got a spot open up there. So. You're going to take the Gold Glove finalist Santander out of right field. How could you do that? 
No, All I'm right. sure he could be a Gold Glove <laughs> finalist and left as well. So I want to, uh, before we wrap up our discussion on the Baseball America's top ten list, I want to focus on pitching. And since the three of us have discussed Dean Kramer and Keegan Aiken a lot this year, uh, I thought we should actually get the time to discuss Grayson Rodriguez and D.L. Hall. Um, two, the basically the consensus two or three prospects in the system. John Mioli put Grayson Rodriguez second, followed by D.L. Hall third, which is how most lists generally shake out with those guys. We didn't get to see either one of them pitch in a game in 2020, but the reports we've heard both at Bowie and then again down in Sarasota were really positive with both of these guys. And it's easy, easy to imagine right now that Hall probably pitches a double A next year. Rodriguez would have pitched at high A had we had a 2020 minor league season. Uh, but in 2021, maybe he makes a bump. Uh, I'll to, to, bubble, to double A. I'll start with you, Bob. Um, even though they've lost some development time this year, uh, what are your expectations for Hall and Rodriguez? Are they still high based on what we're hearing out of uh, Bowie and then again Sarasota? If anything, they're higher. I mean, it sounds like they are sitting at easy upper 90s from what I'm reading on these reports. And the fact that they got to throw the ball to Adley Rutschman for an entire summer is pretty good. I think they'll both start at double A next year, uh, even though that would mean Grayson was skipping level. But this weird, so this year is so weird, it's hard to really tell with that. But I think they're going to start at double A and... Most likely that you won't see them till 2022, but gosh, if they come out and just are lights out, who knows, they move up to AAA and then maybe get a cup of tea at the end of the year. But I'm super excited by what I'm hearing about them. And at this point, I think I might be getting my hips up too high, but I think they're like our right-handed and left-handed uh, aces at the top of the rotation. Yeah, I still stick to what we've mentioned before, that when you talk about the ceiling of these two guys, I think D.L. Hall's ceiling is a little bit more higher than Grayson Rodriguez, just because you got a lefty. I don't I don't think a lot of people, if you've watched D.L. Hall pitch, you understand. But if you haven't, I don't think you understand just how electric that guy is and the attitude he has on the mound, I, I don't think can be matched. Um, when you're a lefty that can throw 96, 97, 98 miles an hour, and hold 96 throughout an entire outing, um, that's impressive. It's, it is the walks. The walks are the big issue with him. If he can cut those walks down, the Orioles have a phenomenal prospect. He's already a phenomenal prospect. But I'm actually looking at Grayson Rodriguez. I was thinking about this uh, for a piece that I've been working on for like a month now for BaltimoreSportsNife.com. Just haven't finished it. But I'm looking at Grayson Rodriguez as actually, this is the easy pick, as a prospect that we really need to watch pretty closely in 2021. Um, I usually stay away from these top prospects when thinking about this because that, that's easy. Of course, he's a top Orioles prospect. You need to watch him. But in the sense that Orioles fans have been so pessimistic, rightfully so, when we think about pitching prospects, with Grayson Rodriguez, a lot is hinging on him and, and his future. And so I think if he gets up into the upper levels of the minor leagues next year and pitches really well, and the reports are still A plus on him, I think Orioles fans can can loosen up just a little bit uh, with Grayson Rodriguez. So I'm going to be watching him very closely to see can he pitch just as well as he did in Delmarva in, in Bowie or whatever equivalent that is next year. And and I think Orioles fans can start to breathe a little bit easier if that's the case. Yeah, and, and understandably, if you've been following the Orioles, I think even just for the last five years, but certainly for those of us who have been following them longer than that, 
we know the the time in and time out frustrations with watching this organization try to develop uh, pitching prospects, especially in the starting rotation. I do hold out some hope that maybe by the time Grayson Rodriguez has arrived that John Means has helped ease that um, rightful cynicism a little bit. But I think that Rodriguez and Hall are two guys that really have a chance to turn around uh, the long trend we've had of the Orioles not being able to develop pitching prospects. I, I saw this comparison at the be- before the back in the spring, and I think it was Eric Lawnenhan at Fangraphs who had it which was that with Hall's stuff, if he sticks as a starter, really the only comp in the major leagues right now, stuff-wise, would be Blake Snell, who we just saw a lot of, um, not just in the last few years pitching for the Rays, but then in the postseason. If you have a Blake Snell-type starter at the top of your rotation, that is a huge boost to your rebuild. Hopefully he can get through the sixth inning, but... Yeah, exactly, and that's something that I think is going to be sticking with um, Rays fans and any fans that were rooting for the Rays to win that World Series for a long time. Um, Before we move on from this list, though, guys, do you have any uh, final thoughts on prospects that we haven't talked about out of that top ten? No, I think it's a pretty good, solid list. I think, if anything, like you said, there's not a lot of turnover, so I think that's a sign of strength for the system. Um, we'll probably see Mountcastle obviously graduate next year from that list. Maybe Kramer and Aiken graduate next year from that list, uh, but you still got Rutschman, Rodriguez, Hall, Kerstad, Gunnar Henderson, Eusenio Diaz, plus whoever the Orioles likely select with the fifth overall pick in next year's draft. So, and whoever they get from the Astros for <laughs> whoever it was they traded for the Astros so long ago. Uh, so, yeah, strong system. This is fun. We didn't have a minor league system this year, but what a time to have an Orioles minor league podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the only guy I would say is, is crazy it is to believe since he was our, you know, second overall first pick in the draft this year. I think Heston Kerstad with him missing this fall instructional league is kind of going under the radar because you get no reports out of him this year but the guy is still a monster out there in right field with humongous power so i think he's gonna really make his name for himself next year and i'm excited to see that yeah and hopefully we see him early on in the 2021 season so for the full list head over to baseballamerica.com as i mentioned john mioli put that list together did a very good job um as for our list and how that's going to stack out continue to listen to the podcast over the last few months or over the next few months because uh, I'm anticipating that sometime, uh, maybe early 2021, we'll be updating the top 30 list that we did back in July uh, to reflect some of the additions that the Orioles have made to their system uh, since it was uh, published. So one thing I do want to note before our show ends is that this time around, we're not going to be off the air a whole lot longer because there are some looming decisions relating to the 40-man roster and the players that the Orioles need to protect uh, for this year's Rule 5 draft. Typically, this is a blurb in the process of the offseason that, for prospect junkies, gets a lot of attention, but for most people, might fly under the radar a little bit. This year, though, I think things are different just because of the sheer volume uh, of prospects that the Orioles need to consider protecting and the quality of many of the first-time eligible Rule 5 players. Yusniel uh, Diaz tops that group. Um, consensus all around is that Diaz is a lock to get protected. But on our next show, which will be next week, we're going to take a, um in-depth look at the players that the Orioles need to consider protecting 
how many 40-man roster spots they could have uh, to open up to keep players from the Rule 5 draft, and a look at some of the prospects that might be available to the Orioles uh, in the Rule 5 draft, which will take place in December, that other organizations could leave off their list. Um, obviously, we're going to discuss that in more depth next week, but Bob and Nick, do you have anything you want to say before we get into the longer discussion of that on a separate show? I'm just curious if the Orioles are going to keep the 40-man where it is now and just add the, I think, five extra spots. Is that what it is? How many extra spots is it? Five or seven? Yeah, right now we're there at 35. Okay, yeah. I, I'm curious to see if they're going to DFA anyone else, basically. If they're going to just add five people or if they're going to make room in other ways. I'm curious to see how they're going to handle that. Yeah, I'm anxious to see kind of the conversation around the Rule 5 draft and how how reporters are hearing other teams are going to handle the Rule 5 draft because, you know, we don't know what the roster size is going to be like next year. Are teams going to be anxious to kind of stash and hide guys or is that not a thing anymore? I mean, when the Orioles dumped or gave back Brandon Bailey and Michael Rucker last year, I think that says a lot about teams using that strategy nowadays. But yeah, I'm anxious to see. You're looking at six, maybe even seven guys that the Orioles could protect um, at the most. We'll see. There's a lot. I think there's going to be a lot of activity over the next few weeks, though, with this Orioles roster as they get it ready for 2021 and before that, the Rule 5 draft. Yeah, that's something we're really going to discuss in depth on our show next week. Um, in addition, I wanted to address this before the show ended. If you follow minor league baseball, you know that there are going to be some major changes going into 2021. Uh, likely, we're going to see minor league baseball cut down to the four full season levels plus a complex league, uh, probably 120 teams across those four full season leagues, a later draft. Some teams are going to be changing leagues. Some are going to get contracted overall. We've already seen affiliation changes uh, published by the two New York clubs, the Yankees and the Mets. Uh, There are also some murmurs that the Twins are possibly going to end up with their AAA team in St. Paul, although I don't believe that has been finalized yet. But that's something we're going to discuss more in depth later in the offseason once we have a clearer sense of what the full picture looks like for minor league baseball going forward. And then obviously how it more directly affects the Orioles and which um, which teams uh, remain in the farm system going forward and which classification they're in. And that's why sometimes when you listen to the show, you may hear a stumble over uh, a classification or a team because by nature, we're always going to refer to Frederick as high A. But right now, there's still a lot of questions up in the air about how that's going to take shape for 2021, not to mention whether or not the pandemic is going to affect the minor league season and what sort of schedule we're looking at. These are all questions that are going to be addressed um, over the next few months. So before we sign off, I'll start with Nick. Any uh, final thoughts to add? Uh, Come on, Pfizer. Give us that vaccine so we can uh, go to rally games next year. But no, I think just follow the Twitter account at BSL on the Verge. Uh, I hinted at this earlier. I've been going through some stuff, and I got some uh, some Orioles swag, some gear, some stuff that I want to give away. It's almost Christmas time, so get in the holiday spirit. Uh, we already gave away a Keegan Aiken autograph a couple weeks ago, uh, which is pretty cool to see all the entries there. But I think looking around, I do have um, the Bowie Bay Sox just put on their kind of bobblehead auction that they were doing for the last like month or two. Uh, I snagged a few just 
just because uh, help the office out a little bit. And I did get multiple uh, Zach Britton bobbleheads. That's uh, Zach with a H at the end of bobbleheads. Uh, so look out. I think we're going to be giving away one of those in a, probably next week. Awesome. Yeah. Um, 2020, pretty rough year. Uh, I know it's it's probably not going to get much better with the winter coming and flu season and the COVID is really ramping up right now. But I think between this Pfizer vaccine news and the election results, there's finally a light at the end of the tunnel. So everyone just hang in there. Things will get better. Yep, certainly we'll uh, be here throughout the off season with minor league coverage as we gear up for 2021. Uh, there's still a lot to address over the coming months. And as I said, we'll be back on the air next week with a preview of the Rule 5 draft. In the meantime, continue to follow us on Twitter, at BSL on the Verge. You can check us out on BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com. I just had a piece up earlier this week on how Ryland Bannon could help uh, the Orioles out in 2021. You can also look for uh, coverage from Nick and Bob uh, over the offseason. And you can uh, chat with us on the board. Uh, at BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com, catch up on the Orioles, the Ravens, and college sports. Uh, so continue to check in with us, and thank you for listening to this episode of uh, On the Birds. For uh, Nick Stevens and Bob Phelan, this has been Zach Spedden. Thanks for listening. <laughs>